Well, um, the condition of my office has been the butt of many a joke. So um, I thought I'd let you know that um, before I went on uh, vacation, I put away all my files and got rid of some uh, mess that was in there. And you could start seeing the tables and the desks. And um, then I asked somebody, <clears throat> some kind person if they would do some deep cleaning uh, on the office while I was gone, which it hadn't been able to receive because there was stuff covering everything. Uh, and when I got back, the office was immaculately clean and beautiful. But uh, this cross, which came from our, the orphanage, uh, that Templo Alleluia, um, and it's very special to me, it was broken in, in several pieces on, on the table. And um, I uh, took it home and thought maybe I'd try to repair it, but I left it on the kitchen counter um, for a really long time. And if it hadn't been for my kind, practical husband, who went and got a bottle of Gorilla Glue and put it right in the center, right next to that cross, I would not have gotten it glued back together, which I just did. And, um, and it's as good as new. In fact, in some ways, it's better. I see the, the glue and the repair signs, and it looks a little bit more like an old rugged cross to me now. Um, we're talking today in the sermon series about uh, the emerging church and, and how we are rethinking um, the categories of belonging and uh, behaving, and now today and next week, believing. So uh, this spoke to me, this analogy spoke to me, because uh, our author says we live in an age in which an awful lot of people are um, describing themselves as spiritual, but not religious. And um, she thinks that uh, part, of, part of the challenge is that uh, we misunderstand the nature of what belief is really about. Uh, that belief is uh, seen as assent to a set of intellectual propositions about um, God, and they uh, can't be proved. They are not don't seem uh, scientific. Uh, they uh, sometimes are lived out by people um, in destructive ways. Uh, they don't appeal to our modern rationality. Also, they seem in some ways like just a set of historical facts that are removed from modern life. But people still have some experiences uh, and ideas about God, and so they're, they're spiritual, but the, the doctrines and the, the teachings that form a coherent system that kind of bind uh, things together in, in religious uh, practice, religious teaching, um, are, are, not, are not as engaging. It's, it's almost like you know people um, have their beliefs they've grown up with as a child, and they go and dust them off, and they, you know, for some reason seem a little bit broken. They put them aside and, and never really engage to put them back together. So I want to talk today about how, how we might think of belief in a more authentic and more fresh way, and yet I think one that comes deeply out of out of the scriptures. Um, in German, uh, the, word, uh, the, the word believe is, is really kind of related to the German word belieben, uh, which um, 
has Lieber in, in it, which is to love. I don't know if you've ever heard Marlene Dieck said, Ich liebe dich, it's memorable, I love you. Um, but believing in its most basic sense um, is particularly in the religious sense, is related to love and commitment and trust. We can't really believe things about God unless, unless we have a kind of commitment and investment, a love and trust, um, a devotion to God. Believing is meant to be an expression of a relationship of devotion. And I thought it would be helpful to think about this story of Abram a little bit today because Abram um, is considered the father of faith, not only the faith of uh, the Jews, but of Christians and Muslims also. And, and the scripture that was read from Genesis is just from the beginning episodes of, of Abraham's uh, life and journey. So, and I'm going to refresh you about that story a little bit because I think it helps us get a little bit more of a handle about what a life of faith looks like and what believing in God looks like. So Abram is uh, living uh, at 75 years old, married, no children, has a nephew who lives with him, It's being raised in the country where his father was raised, uh, everything, life is pretty settled. And the scripture says that God spoke to him and said, Abram, I want you to get up and move to a, a land that I'll show you. And uh, doing this, I will uh, make of you a great nation, and I will uh, bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And um, I will use you as a blessing to bless all of the families of the world. So Abram, now you need to know that probably in this day and time, uh, gods were conceived of kind of more locally. Um, so Abram is, is uh, really leaving almost everything about life as he knows it behind. He's being asked to do that. And um, Abram goes and follows, and, and uh, I'm going to pick up a little bit of his story at, in that he goes and almost immediately, as he does what God asks him to do, he encounters challenges. So he goes to the land where God sent him, and not long after, there's a famine in that land, and he has to leave there, go someplace else to escape from the famine. Uh, while he's down there, he and he's among strangers, and he's scared that uh, they're not going to, uh, you know, welcome him. They're going to take advantage of him. He does some tricky stuff. Uh, the famine passes. He heads back up into the land, only to find out that the place is occupied by peoples who are at war with each other. He has to make allies. In the midst of all of this, uh, God promises him, Abram, uh, you're going to populate this great nation with your own descendants. And Abram uh, is seeing that put in jeopardy because his nephew, the one blood relative that he has of the next generation, uh, takes his lot, uh, his possessions and goes, uh, separates himself from Abram. They're not living in the same area still. 
And at this point, after Abram is, I think, pretty reasonably able to say to God, okay, I've been doing what you've told me to do. I've, I've taken off and followed. And uh, now where are these children that you're telling me about, 75 years old now, much older? When is all this going to happen? And God, in our scripture for this morning, doesn't answer Abram. He doesn't explain things to him. He listens and gives him reassurance. It's going to happen. You're going to have your own descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And Abram says he, he believed. He took that response from God and accepted it and trusted. And it says Abraham's belief his faith, his trust in God, was accepted by God as a righteous, a righteous way to live. And their journey continues on. The story of Abram goes on for a long time. We're going to end it there because much of the rest of the story continues in this dialogical way. Abram's trying to do what God asks him to do, he runs into obstacles. He asks God about it. God interacts with him, doesn't necessarily give him assurances. In fact, sometimes really seems to deepen the peril. But still, they move forward together. That's what faith looks like, Abram, the father of faith. Now, in that experience, that lived experience of Abram's questioning with God and following and trusting God back and forth, there are some ideas about God that were kind of being innately trusted also. So if Abram is leaving one place and going to another, he must believe that God is not only localized, but that God is over all, that God is everywhere, that God can be more looking out after, having the intentions of more than one people's. If God is asking and promising him that he'll make him of a great nation, that God has purpose for people's lives, that God is interacting with the peoples on earth, who, especially those who are called to trust him. Um, he says, I'll bless you and make you a blessing, but he also says, I'll curse those who curse you. So he doesn't let Abram expect that life is going to be easy. In fact, he can almost expect that he's going to meet challenges. God promises, I'll have your back. And in you, all the families of the world will be blessed. So Abram, even as I'm calling and claiming your life, it's not all about you. It's about everyone. I have the well-being of everyone in mind. This vision of God continues to guide Abram, even as he follows and tests and questions and challenges. So faith is not so much just assenting to beliefs, it's having ideas about the divine because one has had an experience of the divine. And then kind of living into it and challenging and dialoguing, prayer and relating. I wonder if 
perhaps today, if we are feeling uh, not so strong in our faith, if it may be that we haven't risked enough trying and testing God's call out and interacted with God enough as we've embraced new challenges. So I wonder if, if we've tried hard to love someone who's not so easy to love. I wonder if we've tried to be faithful and taking on a, a challenge where we see God is pointing us at, in the direction of a problem that maybe we might have some insights about. Can we step up to it? Maybe we need to be faithful in praying for people in our lives who are facing challenges or alienated relationships with God. Maybe we need to be more faithful in praying and for ourselves and our own needs too. Prayer is kind of the engine that feeds the life of faith in the dialogue of the relationship with God. Um, and the insights of people of the past, of their, based on their experiences that they've had of God, kind of build up over time, form our faith tradition, and make the core of the things that we say we believe. So let me give you an example. Uh, how many of you have ever, uh, how many of you have ever um, been in a uh, life, uh, what do you call it, life rafting, whitewater rafting? Anybody? Yes? Okay. So uh, one of the things that's really challenging about whitewater rafting is that you uh, go and meet a guide who has been doing this, you hope, for a while. You've never met him before, and you have to follow everything that they say, all of the instructions that they give you, and, um, and you're going down some really hazardous conditions and your life depends on it. And um, sometimes uh, the things they say seem counterintuitive. Uh, and you have to trust that they know what they're doing because they've had experiences that have said this works. So for example, uh, they tell you, when I tell you to paddle, you paddle as hard as you can and you keep paddling until I tell you to stop. Well, uh, the first time that this felt like a challenge to me, uh, we were hitting a really big rapid and I was in the back of the boat and the front sank down and the back popped up and you're paddling really hard like this in thin air. <laughs> and they tell you to keep paddling and, and you think, what, what, the, what the heck? But <laughs> then when you hit the water, your paddle, all of a sudden it surprises you that it catches and goes in just the direction because they give you these instructions in mind of when you're coming up between the really hard water coming through two rocks. And if you don't do your part to do on your side, you will not get that raft steered through the rocks correctly. I found out they actually know what they're doing. And the thing they teach you is based on experiences that they've had from the past. Uh, I also tried not listening to some of the instructions that they give you, such as, uh, if you pop out, if you fall out of the boat, which you can get popped out of the boat, if you fall out of the boat, don't struggle to get yourself back in the boat 
just wait and we'll come and get you and hold on to the handle and I'll pull you back in. Don't try to get yourself back in. I did not listen. Uh, and let me tell you, I almost, I almost got trapped under a rock because I wasn't listening so well. Uh, you really should just let them get you back in the boat and not try to do it yourself. Our doctrines, in a way, are like the accumulated experiences of many faithful people's engagement with God and the divine and the lessons that they've learned about God and who God is as a result of that. We shouldn't expect all of our doctrines to make perfect sense to us. Think of it this way. Uh, everything that we say about God, he ex God exists before time, time comes into being through God, these are ways of saying that God is really uh, much different on a scale of being than we are. Uh, think of uh, a two-dimensional two plane. And this is like our level of experience, our ability to comprehend. And, and God would be like a, a three-dimensional object that is surrounding it and moving all around. At any given point on a two-dimensional plane, you might see two, two uh, dots that are connected by a line, but there may be many other ways in the three-dimensional object that they're actually connected together. Uh, you are not going to be able to see everything that there is that makes an explanation for them to cohere. I think in some ways, uh, religious tradition builds up from lots of different experiences of the divine from lots of different people kind of coming into a form that's a living, breathing tradition. We too, our experiences can add to that. And sometimes they end up making the teachings and formulations change. I know that when I was uh, uh, convicted that I had a call into ministry, I was really fortunate that women before me had had to fight the battle of helping the church that would look at the scriptures and say women should be silent in church. They'd already fought the battle of making their experience shared and debated and, and powerful enough in a way that the church started to reinterpret those scriptures and open up the possibility for me to be serving in ministry. So traditions are built on experience over a long period of time. They're living and they can change. When Paul, who also brought the church into another great era of faith, was talking about faith, in the Roman scripture. He says that faith is uh, the word that is close to us, experience close at hand. And we hear the word of faith and see it because other people have proclaimed it to us. How beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the gospel. And that is not just, I think, in words or for people who are ministers. 
Part of what makes the church dynamic is that each of us are bearers of the gospel to others. And we can grow and be challenged and changed from that. Um, Larry, I don't want to embarrass you, but you have been someone who has inspired me. One of the things that we teach as part of our affirmations of faith is that we are human beings. All human beings are created in the image of God. Uh, many of you know Donald, who uh, greets at the door. Uh, he hasn't been here for a while because he's been ill and, and now is in a rehab uh, facility. Uh, when Donald first started coming uh, to King Avenue, it, in my recollection, uh, he's lived a lot of his life kind of on the streets and uh, pretty disconnected from family and uh, I think self-protectively very gruff and um, I, I think almost every time that I talked to Donald, he insulted me in some way. In fact, he would always tell me, you know, that he was really from a church where women um, were supposed to be quiet. He actually said that to me on many occasions. Um, so, uh, and really for a long period of time, uh, Donald just, I, sometimes I didn't know why he was here. Uh, he didn't seem, I didn't see a lot of image of God in him. Um, but Larry uh, and Sue and uh, Marlene uh, and have just continued to love Donald. Larry cut his hair, uh, take some food. Um, and that is changing Donald. Last time Donald came to the church to visit, gave me a hug so hard, said, I love you. Never used to hear anything like that come out of Donald's lips. Larry helped me see, yes, you trust, you live into something you affirm by faith. Everyone's made in the image of God. Everyone's worthy of being loved. And Sometimes you have to be really patient, and then you see it. You see, that was right. Yes, there's a person there just wants to be loved and love. We're here as a living, breathing community of faith, meant to inspire each other, to help each other grow in faith, to uh, grow in our trust, and to encourage each other to live boldly for God in this world that God so loves. Our author, uh, whose book we've been following, says that it might help us relate to creeds and doctrines more if we thought of them rather of saying, I believe, and all of these things that happened long ago, I believe in God the Father, that it might help us if we instead think I trust in. I trust in. And so for our closing, I'd like for us to turn to a, an affirmation of faith in the United Church of Canada. And um, share in that affirmation of faith together. Somebody who has the bulletin out, tell me what the number is. 883. 883. 
This one has a little bit more of that kind of language in it. And let's close by standing and affirming our faith together. We are not alone. We live in God's world. We believe in God who has created and is creating, who has come in Jesus, the word made flesh, to reconcile and make new, who works in us and others by the Spirit. We trust in God. We are called to be the church, to celebrate God's presence, to love and serve others, to seek justice and resist evil, to proclaim Jesus crucified and risen, our judge and our hope in life, in death, in life beyond death, God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen.